0: Thank you so much, Bruce, to the chorus. That was fantastic, very inspiring. Well, good morning, everyone. Um, It's a joy for me to be here. I think it's the first time I've been here in person to this congregation. Um, I live in Berkeley, our office is in Oakland, so it's not really that far, but you know how it is, around the Bay Area and then COVID, so I'm happy to be here, and I appreciate the many ways that you've supported our organization over the past few years. I'm here to talk about, um, my theme today is called Abolishing Cages, Journey to Community. And I know that the, I'm United Church of Christ, but I know the Unitarian Universalists throughout history have a long journey around abolition. And so I wanted to come to you to share with you one small piece of abolition that our organization is a part of. Um, I just came back a little over a week ago. I think it was Monday, so yeah, almost tomorrow will be a week from a week long pilgrimage, which was focused on the question of abolition and this question of freedom. There were 50 of us who traveled on a bus nearly 500 miles um, to all of the six remaining detention centers in California. Now, I don't know, how many of you know somebody who's an immigrant? Anyone know any? I, I mean, we're in California. Does everybody know somebody who's an immigrant? Okay. All right, good. Um, how many of you are aware of immigration detention? You've heard about it. You've seen it. Maybe you've known somebody who was in it. Well, we've been part of a multi-year effort to actually abolish immigration detention because in the course of American history, that is actually a relatively new phenomena. The first immigration detention facility was Angel Island in the bay, next to Alcatraz Island, um, which was established in 1910, primarily to enforce the Chinese Exclusion Act, which was something that affected my family. Uh, The Chinese Exclusion Act, you know, from 1880s until World War II ended, um, was designed to racially exclude Chinese people of Chinese Chinese descent from coming. And so that detention center was there primarily to enforce that law, but ended up enforcing the law and excluding people from all over um, the Asia Pacific region and also the southern hemisphere. So up until, I would say, about the 1980s or 1990s, immigration detention was relatively small. But in the 1980s, 1990s, along with the prison boom, which California led the way, led the way of the prison boom of mass incarceration, immigration detention also boomed and escalated. So I'm gonna go back to the bus that we were on, this pilgrimage, um, and we called it a pilgrimage because we called it a sacred journey. And it was sacred because of the land that was sacred that we were going to travel to, and also the lives that were sacred to the people who were inside detention and the people with whom we were traveling with. We had a number of faith leaders, we had some community leaders, but we also had people who had once been detained in those very facilities that we were visiting. This was the first time they were returning to their place of trauma, that their place of being kidnapped, of being withheld from their families. They were survivors. And they would gotten the taste of freedom to be on the bus with us. So the question of freedom we're raising is what does it mean in the United States when every day tens of thousands of people are deprived of their freedom because they are immigrants, because they were born in another country, that they're detained in cages every day on U.S. soil. So we began in Kern County in Bakersfield. uh, We traveled to Adelanto, to the high desert, to Calexico in Imperial County along the border, and then to San Diego. We traveled over dry fields and lands that were once indigenous and home to the Southern Valley Yokuts, the Serranos, the Cucupaw, and the Kumeyaay. These lands that were colonized by Spain, which led to the theft of land, enslavement, forced labor, and actually imprisonment of native peoples in California's first prisons, the, the Catholic missions. We drove by parched lands that it seemed impossible to imagine how these parched lands could grow and produce fruits and vegetables that feed the nation in the desert. It was unnatural and also what was unnatural was the prevalence of prisons that dotted the freeways that we traveled through. Prisons that have been intentionally planted there with billions of dollars of investments. In one county, Kern County, there are 26 carceral facilities. The highways, you see signs, the names of prisons, past and present, Corcoran, California City, Chowchilla, Manzanar, military bases, foreign names imprinted on the land that tell the history of militarization, detention, caging, and prisons. The US government runs the largest immigration detention system in the world, with over 200 immigration prisons or jails, which are essentially immigration prisons. This is just one tiny fraction of the US government's uh, carceral system, which also is the largest in the world, uh, with over 2 million people who are held in cages each day. Immigration detention, just for definition, is the government practice of incarcerating human beings while they wait for a decision on their immigration case or their potential deportation. Immigration detention impacts women, men, mothers, sisters, grandfathers, uncles, brothers, neighbors, carpenters, farm workers, refugees, asylum seekers, and children. President Biden in the past two months has recently reopened two immigration detention centers specifically for children that had been closed earlier. So who is in detention and how does someone end up in detention? People in detention can be documented. That means they could have come here to this country with a visa, with papers, with refugee status. They could be people who are undocumented. They could include people whose status is not current, meaning like they're expired, their paperwork is expired, or that it's under review by a judge. It can include people seeking asylum and legal protections coming at our borders. On our journey, we also traveled to the San Diego, literally to the border. We were passing coffee through the fence to people on the other side. It can also be people on the bus with us were people who actually came to this country with a visa and they were detained at the airport, SFO, LAX, um, and because they were seeking asylum were then taken to immigration detention centers. It could be people who have lived here for decades, people who live among us, who are our neighbors, whose kids go to school with our kids. It could be people who have a U.S. citizen spouse or U.S. citizen children, or have a business in the United States. They could be people who came as refugees, as children in the Vietnam, during the Vietnam War, or people who had a green card, but because they have a past conviction, or a past interaction with law enforcement and have served their time, they can be then turned over to immigration detention upon completion of parole or completion of their sentence, even after they complete their time, even after they have been rehabilitated and earned released, because they were not born here, they would have lost their status and are then sent to immigration detention for deportation. On the bus with us was everybody in this category. As you can see, there are many categories. Immigration detention is not a crime. You don't have a conviction. You don't have a public defender. So that means um, you don't know how long you're going to be there. There are some people inside who we talk to through the phone who have been inside for nine years. 80% of adults who are in immigration detention in the United States are held in facilities run by for-profit private prisons who publicly trade on the market and are doing very well. In California, 100% of immigrants held are, 100% are being held in for-profit prisons because 10 years ago, there were 15 detention centers but the ones that we have been able to close successfully, now there are six, there were 15, there are now six, so we are on a trajectory towards abolition, it are the ones that were government contracts, I'm sorry, that were ones that were contracting with the federal government with a local county. So the jail, the immigration detention facility that I worked closely with, I don't know if any of you ever came to one of our vigils, was the one in the, uh, Richmond, California. So Contra Costa County, the county had a contract with Department of Homeland Security to house immigrant detainees in their local jail. Santa Clara used to have one as well, uh, a contract. Um, the The county in Contra Costa County was getting $5 million a year to house that. So the detention centers we've been able to close have all been ones that were, that have some government accountability. We could go to the county supervisors. We could talk to our elected representatives. We could say, why are we doing this? You know, uh, and they have all been successful. All those county did contracts have been closed in California. What remain are the for-profit ones because who do we go to to ask for accountability? So at Interfaith Movement for Human Integrity, our mission is, overall mission, is to address the criminalization of people of color primarily through the immigration and, and incarceration systems. We organize and we bring together people of various faiths and life experiences to work together for the dignity and full participation of immigrants and those who have been impacted by incarceration. Our journey on this pilgrimage was part of a multi-year campaign to close detention centers. I told you it's been going for 11 years and we've been closing, you know, six months, nine. We've closed nine, not just us, but in coalition across the state. In the, in the detention center in Richmond, we began a vigil there on Holy Week, um, Passover and Holy Week of April 2011. We held a monthly prayer service. Many Unitarian churches participated. There are many Unitarian churches in that part of Bay Area. And after seven years, the, the county got out of that contract. Um, one of the most important things I wanna share with you is that I experienced on this pilgrimage was the reflections from people, of course, who had been detained, some as recently as six months ago. And I want to show with you, can we show the first video clip? Um, How's everybody doing? My name is Guillermo, Guillermo Medina. And I think I uh, need to make sure that the sound I was, is in, I was in detention. I was in this ex- exactly. This same detention center just about six months ago. And the first thing is a lot of Um, to visit every single detention center a few years ago 10 years ago there were 14 immigration detention centers in california today there are six at the imperial regional detention facility we know a lot of people have suffered we know a lot of people have been treated um, in inhumane ways and we believe that a lot of the injustice has already been documented we believe that um, it is The federal government knows this. So around 2020, or in 2020, when COVID hit the facility, um, a number of people detained, announced a hunger strike, calling for freedom, um, calling out the unsanitary conditions that were putting their lives at risk here. I'm just gonna read uh, uh, the story of Juan Sanchez. During a demonstration in my housing unit, security staff removed me by force and put me in the hole for 30 days. I successfully filed a lawsuit against ICE and MTC for retaliation, but I had to drop it because I didn't have a lawyer who could help me. They are um, criminalizing BIPOC, black and brown indigenous communities, and it's the same thing all over again, same story all over again. I was always told that, oh, this will never happen, this will never happen, this will never happen. Guess what? I'm here with you today here to say even if these conditions improve even if they said fine we're gonna we're gonna give you good cleaning products even if all these conditions got better it would still be a lockup it would still be a prison for people who either came here seeking protection or did their time in the criminal punishment system and then get stuck here for years and years and that has to stop and it doesn't need to be that way these millions can go to something good 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 so at interfaith movement for human integrity our work to abolish cages is grounded in spiritual values, which I, I bet many of you share. That all people are created in the image of God. That we are to love our neighbor as ourself. That we must not commit harm, but we have a duty to prevent harm. That no one is born for bondage. And that profiting over the ownership and abuse of other people is immoral. We have successfully closed nine detention centers and the result has been that local communities have become more safe less people are being rounded up in ice raids because less beds are available for them we've successfully created alternatives that actually people don't need to be detained in order to show up to their immigration appointments they can be home in their community they can be working and providing for their children They can have community support to help them stabilize so that they can meet their obligations to show up for immigration hearings, which sometimes can be a process of four to five years. They don't have to be locked up the whole time. We call that community accompaniment. And then the last piece we've sought to address is the argument given to us by local communities, especially rural communities, who said, but we need the jobs. These detention centers and prisons have been put there by the government. And so we've asked the government of California to do something to help these communities transition out of this carceral economy. So this year, for the first year, we passed a budget initiative of $5 million. It's not very much, considering how much all of this costs. That's an incentive, and it's a tool, and it tells local communities that if you remove the land permit if you let it expire or you say no we don't want to permit the land to be used in this way for immigration detention you can qualify for this pot of money that will we can go for job retraining that can go for new and sustainable green industries we call it heal healthy economies adapting to last because the current system is not built to last and we have to build something sustainable to last so at every detention center, the the six, we held a vigil. We also held forums discussing this budget initiative in each community, and we asked the local communities, what are the needs? I bet you have needs in this community. What are the needs of this community? What are the dreams of this community? And there was a consistent pattern of response, maybe because so many were rural. They said, we don't have a trauma hospital center. We have to drive hours to the Bay Area to get the kind of specialized care that people have to get flown out on helicopters. And there's horrible trucking accidents and things like that. They wanted trauma hospitals. They wanted mental health care workers. They wanted bilingual nurses, youth counselors, mentors, homeless shelters, affordable housing, a community college, substance abuse treatment, higher teachers' pay, community based reentry centers, local business development, after school programs regulated industries, and jobs that could improve and clean the air quality, which is, has some of the highest rates of asthma. So our dream, our dream for abolition and closing cages is connected to healing of the land that have been burdened with military bases, Superfund sites, and toxic water and air. It's a dream for the healing of people. Pedro, who was on the journey, and he said, since I've been able to get out of detention, After 17 years of prison, I'm finally able to get to know my nieces, my five nieces who never knew who their uncle was. Aureliado, who said, I was able to hug my mom and knew I wasn't have to go back into a cell, but that my mom was, we weren't going to be separated again. Freedom is more than civil rights. It's much bigger than that. It means, freedom means we must radically reorganize society without prisons and also preventing the conditions that create violence or harm of any kind. Abolition is a movement to end all forms of violence, systemic and interpersonal. And it's about investing in things which prevent harm, which are basic needs, housing, healthcare, elder care, and the possibilities of a life lived differently. One of my mentors, Reverend Phil Lawson, who goes back to the civil rights movement He said, you know what the opposite of slavery is? He said, the opposite of slavery isn't freedom. He said, the opposite of slavery is community. And I think about this because I think of some of the guys like Guillermo, he's free, but he still has his immigration court case. He still doesn't know what's going to happen. He still could get harassed by the police. He still has barriers to get a job. And to get housing but through this process we have community and in through community we can support each other we can create the beloved community Angela Davis says freedom is not the end point because freedom is constantly evolving and expanding we have new dimensions of freedom yet to be imagined we can overthrow prisons we can imagine new and more effective ways to address harm And we can imagine a flourish, quote, flourishing of life as it should be. I offer to us, because probably many of us may not be individually impacted, is that our journey to freedom for us as well is freedom from ignorance that allows evil to prosper. It's freedom from despair and apathy, which immobilizes us. It's freedom, some separation from others in society, which isolates us and limits the possibilities that we can take for collective action and power in community. So my invitation for the UU Church of Palo Alto, I'm very serious about this, is there's two things. Um, We have an accompaniment program where we ask congregations to accompany newly arrived migrants' families. If they don't have somebody to accompany them, they are often put into immigration detention. The ones who have family already here, they have somebody. They have a name. They have an address. But there are new people coming every day who don't know a soul in the United States with an address. And so we're being asked, and I'm asking congregations everywhere I go, to extend our concept of kinship and family and community. And can we be that first anchor for someone so that they could anchor other people in their families who are also fleeing violence and harm? So we have a training program for congregations who want to do accompaniment. We have families today on a waiting list because we don't have enough teams. We have a need for housing hosts People who can provide, we have four congregations who provide temporary housing, sometimes two weeks, sometimes a month, sometimes six months, in their compound for a family that otherwise would be, can you imagine coming to this country and your first time and you're living on the streets of the United States under a freeway? We have families like that with children. So we're asking congregations to think about how could they or people in congregations. How could you be a housing host for temporary housing so someone can get, catch their breath and get settled and we'll have accompaniment teams that can help them so they can restart their lives in community, not in a cage. So that's the first one, to think about accompaniment. We have a whole section on our website about accompaniment, what that means, what's the roadmap for a congregation to do accompaniment. We have other congregations here in Palo Alto who have done it. The congregational church in the congregational church here in Palo Alto, and also the Lutheran Church in in Palo Alto. The second thing is advocacy. And I hope I know you all are very good at advocacy. I'm connected with some of your UU, our UU partners. But to advocate with us to close down detention centers, we're on this goal to close down these last six. Um, We're also part of a statewide campaign to close 10 prisons in California, which the legislative analyst has said California should close 10, because the numbers are down and this cost is tremendous for these very old and decrepit facilities. Um, And to support us uh, in our efforts to free individual people. So there's a systemic advocacy but there's also the individual freedom campaigns. There are people in detention right now who were on the bus with us It's because we wrote letters, because we had people who had letterhead, <laughs> you know, people who could say they were a US citizen and they were vouching that someone should be able to come home to their family. So advocate, support letters, phone calls. We'll be doing Christmas letter, you know, letter writing in, the, uh, in November in a couple of weeks, things to help people inside get free. So two, two asks, accompaniment and advocacy, and that, that we join our hearts in collective prayer for this goal, to abolish cages and journey to community. There's handouts in the back. Thank you.